Thank you, Gabby, and uh, welcome to all of you. We're really glad you're here today. If you're a college student, I don't know if you heard the announcement or got the memo, but we're having a meal for you after the next service, so we're going to gather back in here at 1145, and we will introduce uh, K-State, uh, Manhattan Christian College, and MATC faculty and staff that go to the church, as well we'll introduce the, the church staff for you to get to know them. And that smell you, you uh, smelled on the way in is pulled pork, and we have an amazing meal that has been prepared for. So hope you can come back or stay for that later. Well, Eugene Peterson tells a story that gets us into today's topic. He has us imagine a group of men and women, boys and girls, who live in a warehouse. It's a huge warehouse. And it turns out that they had been born in this warehouse, and unless something happens, they're going to live their entire life in this warehouse, and they're going to die in it. Uh, they have everything they need for their physical life is supplied. There are no doors in and out of the warehouse, but there are windows. The problem, however, is that there's a, an inch of dust that has accumulated over the windows over the years. So you can't, can't see out. Well, what if, what if one day these children, curious as they are, one of them dragged a stool over to the window and climbed up, and he wiped the grime off of the window and looked out? And what does he see? He sees people out there on the sidewalk, and there's a group of them that are pointing up in this animated way. They're excited about something up there. And so what do the children do? Well, they look up, and you know what they see? They see the ceiling of the warehouse, right? And they look again and they think, these people are crazy. There's nothing for them to see. Have no idea why they're looking. Well, it turns out they're looking at flocks of geese and airplanes, and they're looking at cloud formations, all sorts of fascinating things. But these children, looking at them, they just think they're crazy, Peterson says, but what would happen, though, if one day one of those kids cut a door out of the warehouse, coaxed his friends out, and discovered the immense sky above them and the grand horizons beyond them? That is what happens, are you ready? When we open the Bible, we enter the totally unfamiliar world of God, a world of creation and salvation, stretching endlessly above and beyond us. Life in the warehouse never prepared us for anything like this. And so the warehouse represents everything that we understand by observation and uh, human knowledge and, and uh, um, human wisdom and logic. And as you know, many people are convinced that that's all that exists, that all that exists is the physical world, and that people that point to the heavens and talk about God in animated ways, they think those people are deluded, that they are crazy. Well, in today's passage, Paul is really <clears throat> trying to coax us out of the warehouse. He tells us that instead of living in the small, confined, petty ways of thinking and living that are offered to us in this world, that we can actually have the, we can actually know the hidden, revealed wisdom of God. We don't have to live in the warehouse. We can live in the vast expanse of the kingdom of God through Scripture. Last week, we began a four-week series that we've entitled Formed by the Word. 
And we're, we're studying these four attributes of God that Protestants have affirmed down through the years. Last week, we looked at the authority of Scripture. And by that, we mean that the Scripture is the final word on every topic that it addresses. Specifically, it's the final authority on salvation, how you can enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, and sanctification, how you can then grow in holiness and today we're going to look at the second attribute, which is the, the necessity of Scripture. And the necessity of Scripture reminds us that we need God's Word because it reveals essential truths that we would not otherwise know. If we didn't have Scripture, we would not understand who God is and how we, how we should relate to Him. Therefore, since we want to know God and we want to know how to relate to him, we should view scripture as the treasure that it actually is. Let me briefly explain the content of 1 Corinthians 2. <clears throat> if you've been at faith very long, uh, you know that we normally teach through books of the Bible. But in this series, we're, we're going to four specific passages in different books that uh, either teach or illustrate the attribute of scripture we're studying. 1 Corinthians 2 illustrates the necessity of Scripture, the context. The church at Corinth was a divided church. It was a, an immature church. It was a proud church. When you read the book, you find out that people boasted about all sorts of things. Some of them boasted about their spiritual gifts. Some of them boasted about the teacher that they were loyal to. I follow Paul. I follow uh, Apollos. I follow Peter. But Paul argues in uh, chapter 1 that the message of the cross precludes anybody from boasting about anything other than Christ crucified. Their boasting was evidence that they were relying on worldly wisdom and not the wisdom from God. And he tells the Corinthians, you should know better. When you came to Christ, not many of you were impressive by worldly standards. You weren't, you weren't wise, you weren't powerful, you weren't of noble birth, you were ordinary simple men and women, boys and girls. And Paul says, when I came to you and preached the gospel, I didn't use flourishing rhetoric. I didn't use human wisdom. I simply preached Christ crucified. I didn't want your faith to depend on me and human wisdom. I wanted your faith to depend on the power of God and the demonstration of the Spirit. And so this context is crucial for understanding our passage today because the verses we're going to look at highlight that we don't have to live by human wisdom. We don't have to live in the warehouse. We don't have to live these, these, these same old confined, petty um, um, ways, of think, you know, these ways of thinking that we might have grown up with that are taught uh, out in the world. As a matter of fact, we have the secret hidden wisdom of God, which is priceless. Therefore, we should treat Scripture as the treasure that it is. Two foundational things related to the necessity of Scripture. First of all, in Scripture, the Spirit of God has revealed the secret, secret hidden wisdom of God. And so Paul said, I, I didn't try to impress you with worldly wisdom, but here he says, I do impart wisdom, however. It's not the wisdom of the world. It's better than that. Verse 6, he says, Yet among the mature, and that's a reference to believers, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age 
or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Rather, we read in verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And so Paul tells us a couple of things about the wisdom of God. First of all, it's a secret, hidden wisdom of God. And he's primarily there talking about the message of Christ crucified. And so it was a mystery. It was hidden in plain sight, but it was a a hidden truth. When you read the Old Testament, uh, it's right there, but nobody understood it in Christ's day. But now it's been revealed. You may remember in, in Luke 24, after Jesus was raised from the dead, that he opened the mind of his disciples to understand the scriptures. And he showed them very clearly that the Christ had to die. He had to be pierced through for our transgressions. And the Christ had to be raised on the third day because he's going to sit on the throne of David forever. He had to be a resurrected uh, living Lord. And so uh, this, this was a secret hidden wisdom of God that has now been revealed. Second, this wisdom from God was decreed before the ages for our glory. And so this wisdom, Paul says, it predated the wisdom of the world, which changes from culture to culture, generation to generation. And it's going to last far beyond this, this, the wisdom of the world, which is eventually going to pass away. And it's for our glory. If you experience this wisdom you're going to experience a type of glory that, that, that mirrors the glory of God himself. And then verse 8, he makes a fascinating point about the hiddenness of the gospel. He said this, none of the rulers of this age understood this. Pilate didn't understand it. Herod didn't understand it. The Jewish authorities didn't understand that Christ crucified was going to pay for the sins of the world and that he was going to be raised on the third day. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't want to see him fulfill his mission, and they certainly didn't want him to be resurrected and declared Lord of all. They didn't want to see him enthroned at the right hand of God. So if they understood this, they would not have crucified him. But, verse 9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God prepared, has prepared for those who love him. In other words, God's generosity toward people that would come through Christ, it was beyond human perception. It was inscrutable. Eyes, ears, the human heart could never get to this truth. And so, uh, what we could never imagine, verse 10, God revealed. <clears throat> he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And when he says us here, Paul is referring to himself and to the other apostles. Uh, because of their writings, he's also revealed it to us. But I think he's talking there about originally how they were given this this revelation that they did not know, that they could not perceive and figure out on their own. And so as as Jesus' spokespersons, the apostles received this revelation that they taught the churches and eventually wrote to the churches. Well, we understand these letters that are in our New Testament. But in light of the comment that the Spirit searches everything, 
even the depths of God, Paul asks a rhetorical question in verse 11. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And that's a great point, right? Like, uh, I'm looking at all of you, and, and almost all of you look like you're paying attention. But I don't really know that, okay? Uh, I hope that you're thinking deeply about the necessity of Scripture. I hope that you're thinking about 1 Corinthians 2. But you might be thinking about lunch. I don't know. Your spirit knows. The immaterial, internal part of you knows. But I'm not going to know that unless you tell me. I could guess, but your spirit knows what I don't. And Paul says, So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. This, is, this, is, this points to the necessity of Scripture. We can't read God's mind. We can guess what God is thinking. But unless His Spirit, who uniquely, exhaustively knows the thoughts of God, unless His Spirit reveals them to us, we simply won't know it. And so we have to have this revelation, and it has to be written down. And God could reveal this brand new to every single person in the universe, but that's not his plan. He revealed it to the apostles, they wrote it down, and the scriptures have been passed down to us. And so Paul continues, now we, verse 12, <clears throat> now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And again, I think he's talking about the apostles who now understand the things freely given to us by God. And this is, this is, uh, this is what, God, what Jesus had promised in John 16, verses 12 and 13. He told his original disciples. This was the night before he was crucified. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so the spirit of God gave them this understanding that was beyond their perception. And we read in verse 13 that the things they understood, they imparted. He says, and we impart this. In words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And then the second half of this verse is notoriously difficult. He says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If you have a different translation, it, it might read pretty different from that. I tend to think that the NIV's translation really gets at the heart of it best. And it says, that second half of the verse, he says, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. And so the things that were taught them by the Spirit, they used, they explained, used spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. They used the exact right words to communicate the spiritual realities that God wanted communi communicated. And that's what is now inscripturated. That's what we have in our scriptures. And so the point is that in Scripture, the Spirit of God has revealed the secret, hidden wisdom of God. Therefore, we should approach the Scripture for the treasure that it is. As I pondered this, this 
passage this week, uh, the thought has come to my mind. I mean, what would I be like? I mean, who would I be and where would I be if I didn't have the scriptures? I came to Christ when I was 20 years old and immediately started. God gave me this hunger for the word and just started studying the scriptures. And I cannot imagine what thoughts I would think, how I would deal with my anxiety, how I would relate to people if I didn't have the truths that are found in scripture. I mean, I think of, of a passage like Psalm 139. It's this amazing passage that David wrote, and he talks about how God is, is omniscient, not in some vague general sense. He said, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing about me. He understands a thought before I think it, a word before I speak it. There's nowhere I can go without his presence. He said, God was there before I was born. He fashioned me in my mother's womb. And you know what, you know what David said? He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know what he said next? And my soul knows it well. What an unbelievable, unfathomable idea that my soul knows that God has fashioned me and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, that's just a thought. It would never occur to me in a million years. Or you come to the New Testament, we, we read about the future. You know, this song we sang about, we're fighting a battle that, that God has already won. That reflects what's, what's said in, in many places in the epistles that after Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated all our spiritual enemies. And he's enthroned far above the powers and principalities of this world. And so no, we're, not, we're not fighting a battle that we may or may not win. No, it's been won. There are skirmishes in this life. But it's a battle that God has already won in Christ. And so these are spiritual realities hidden unless God had revealed them to us. If you were with us last week, you know that we're encouraging you to spend significant time in, in Psalm 119 during the four weeks of this, this series. We'll just let it form the way you approach God through the scriptures. And if you've been reading it or, or listening to it, as I have, you may have noticed that the psalmist treated God's word like a treasure. He repeatedly refers to the word, the commands, the precepts as being like a treasure or more valuable than riches. Verse 72, for example, he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Did you notice how he referred to the law? It is the law of your mouth. He understood that it's God-breathed. He understood that God had spoken this law, that God had, had revealed his heart. The mouth speaks from whatever uh, fills the heart. And therefore... It is more valuable than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And that's why he treasured God's word in his heart, because it's a treasure. That's why he cried out to God, give me understanding, teach me. Let me not wander from your, your precepts. He implicitly knew that ignoring the word of God would mean squandering a precious, life-giving, life-saving gift from God. And I wonder, is that the way we think about God's word? Is that way we approach it? Uh, I wonder, is that the way we want to think about God's word and approach it? Well, wherever you are, I would encourage you to, to just pray along with the psalmist. And if you can, pray, God, the law of your mouth is better to me 
than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And if that's not true, if you can't pray that honestly from the heart, say, God, I want your word, the law of your mouth, to be more precious to me than gold and silver. That's where we need to get if we're going to be formed by the word. Next thing Paul says speaks to the Spirit's commitment to forming us with the word. Here he says that the indwelling Spirit of God illuminates or, or shines the light on the scriptures so that we might have the mind of Christ. He first explains that not everybody wants to know the things revealed by the Spirit. He says the natural person, and that's a person in their natural condition, a person without the Spirit of God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, like stiff arm. No, I don't accept that. Why? For they are folly to him. He established in chapter 1 that the, the, the word of the cross, the message about Christ crucified, was just foolishness to people. If you think something's foolish, you're not going to accept it, whether it's a commercial or whether it's a, a something that you find in Scripture. If you think it's just foolish, the idea that some guy dying on a cross outside of Jerusalem would have anything to do with your well-being. If you think that's stupid, if you think it's ludicrous, you're not going to accept it. And so Paul says, first of all, they don't accept the things of the Spirit. Secondly, he says, they can't accept the things of the Spirit. He says he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Without the Spirit of God opening their eyes, they cannot understand these spiritual truths. And that was Paul's own experience. I mean, he was a brilliant guy. He knew three languages. He, was, he had the best education possible. But before Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus, he didn't understand and he could not accept a crucified Christ. And so he rejected it. It was just foolishness to him. And so all of this points to the necessity of the Spirit of God opening a person's heart and eyes and ears to accept and believe it. And so if you're a believer, that has happened to you. It's not because you were above average. It's not because you somehow figured this out. Ah, I got this. It's because God has done this work through his Spirit in your life. And if you don't accept this currently and you don't believe this, cry out to God cry out, say, God, open my eyes, show me why this is a big deal. I've got these friends and they keep, <laughs> they keep talking about Jesus. I don't know what the big deal is. I don't see this need in my life. I don't see how he could do anything for me. Well, cry out to God. Say, God, open my eyes. Show me the glory of Christ. Show me my own sinfulness. God, would you do this in your mercy? That's a prayer God loves to answer. Jesus said, those who ask, receive. Those who knock, the door is open. Those who seek, find. Just hardwired into the universe. You seek after God, he will, he will let you find him. C.S. Lewis said that uh, God is like the, the dad who's playing hide and seek with his little kids. He hides in the closet and he leaves the door open. And he puts his foot out in the, in the hall. And he coughs when they're walking by. He wants to be found, okay? That's the way God is. Cry out to him. Verse 15, Paul makes a statement. It's been misapplied in some rather arrogant ways, but it says, the spiritual person judges all things, 
but is himself to be judged by no one. So he's not saying that if you're a Christian, you're always right. Nobody can correct you. Uh, you never, need, you never uh, need to be examined and you never need to change. No, he's saying in the context of this passage that the person who was formerly dead in sin uh, and, the, and that person, when that person comes to Christ and is a new creature in Christ, has the spirit of Christ living within them and they know this hidden secret wisdom from God because God has revealed it. That person understands things that he didn't before. That person understands both worlds, understands being dead in sin and alive in Christ. The person who's dead in sin really can't assess this life in the spirit. It's, it's beyond their perception. And so that's basically what Paul is saying. And in verse 16, he makes reference to Isaiah 40, this passage that asks just this amazing series of rhetorical questions that point out that God never consults us on anything especially how to run the universe. And Paul alludes to Isaiah 40 in verse 16 where he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer, nobody. Nobody uh, gives God advice. But then he adds, but we have the mind of Christ. He's saying, though, even though we're never in a position to give God advice, because he has revealed these hidden, this hidden secret wisdom by his mercy. And because he's opened our eyes through the, the working of the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. To the degree that we accept and internalize the scriptures, scriptures we now think like Christ thinks, which is also how God the Father thinks. And don't miss how staggering this is because when you read the Gospels, nobody had the mind of Christ except for Christ. His closest disciples didn't have the mind of Christ. They always challenged him. They tried to correct his thinking. Jesus, bad plan. We're never going to do that. They disbelieved some very clear things that he taught them. But we read that Jesus promised that when he returned to the Father, he would send them the Spirit who would bring to their remembrance all he had taught. The Spirit would lead them into all truth. And then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And that's why we have the secret, hidden wisdom of God accurately and faithfully preserved in Scripture. Because the Spirit revealed it to them and they use spiritual words to capture these spiritual thoughts. And now we can have the mind of Christ. We can have the mind of Christ. Not perfectly, but substantively, we have the mind of Christ. The same Holy Spirit who empowered the authors to write scripture now lives within the believer. And he shines the light on the scriptures. And this doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen overnight. It happens intentionally, and it happens over time as we hide God's truth in our heart, as we ponder it, as we talk about it, as we seek to live it out. We progressively have the mind of Christ. Again, this points to the absolute necessity of Scripture. We could never have the, the mind of Christ without the 66 books of the, the Bible and without the indwelling Holy Spirit spirit. 
This week, a, a friend uh, called me to encourage me. And the reason you need encouragement is because you lack courage. He knew I, I needed some courage in a couple areas of my life. And as we talked, uh, he shared with me very directly, very compassionately, some things that are true about me as a believer. He wasn't making things up. Oh, you're this time. No, he was, he was telling me things that Scripture says are true of a believer. And then he told me a couple of things that are true of God because Scripture has revealed it. And so uh, that was just, just life-giving to me. And then he asked me, so what are you preaching this week? And I said, well, 1 Corinthians 2, and it's that passage that ends up where Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. And he asked me, what do you think the mind of Christ is? And I said, what you just told me, that's the mind of Christ. Because over the years, he just saturated his heart and mind with these thoughts from God that he would never figure out on his own, but they're revealed in Scripture. He thinks in biblical categories. And when he talked to me, he said the things to me that I believe Christ wanted said to me. And so he had the mind of Christ. And what a healing thing for my soul. We have the mind of Christ. It will be for your benefit and for the benefit of all the people in your life, both, the, both those that know Christ and those that don't yet know Christ. None of this do, this do this perfectly, but to the degree that we accept and internalize the scriptures, we have the mind of Christ. So if you go back to our opening illustration, I hope you believe this. You don't have to live in a warehouse. You don't have to live in these small, petty, cramped ways of thinking that you may have learned in the world. Through the scriptures, you can be led out into this vast expanse of the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, may this be so in our lives. May this be so in this church. May it be so in the body of Christ here in Manhattan. God, we desperately need scriptures. We need to treasure it in our hearts. We need to believe it. We need to seek to obey all that it demands and trust in all that it promises. And so we ask God that you would do this work in us, continue it this week. May it be an amazing week of seeking you and finding you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
today as an act of worship before we go. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O gracious King, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. And now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.
More than just a name we throw around Cause yours holds power More than just a faith to talk about And forget Monday morning Oh my soul, don't you forget Of the days he never left you What makes you think that what comes next He's not holding to You're so good to remind us That this is your story You're so good to remind us You're the Alpha Omega Beginning and the end There's no God beside Him All glory we will give Oh, you are good It is your
say it's hopeless They must have never met my God Some may say it's over But it was finished on the cross Some may say it's broken But the healer's in the room Some may say it's hopeless But I know that God's about to move God's about to move There's a miracle in the woods I can feel
Good morning. Welcome, welcome. I know we have several people still coming in and finding seats. Um, yeah, do that quickly. We would love to make sure you have a seat in here um, and welcome you as well. There is space in the venue as well, down below or down that direction, if you would prefer in that space. Um, good morning. My name is Jennifer Culp, and um, my husband Brady and I have been attending here at Faith for about the past 13 years, uh, as well as our two wonderful sons, Mason and Parker. Um, I get the opportunity to share with you a few things in the li- happening in the life of the church. First off, um, if you have never filled out the connection card, you're going to find this in the back of the seat in front of you, or if you are in the front row, you can find those underneath in the little um, Heidi cubby holes underneath there. And we just encourage you to fill that out with whatever information you so choose to. Um, this is just a simple way for us to get to know that you are here this morning, as well as a way for you to connect with us. There's opportunities for you to list prayer requests or questions you may have, um, as well as some maybe next steps of how you would like to get connected um, or things that you want to know about in the life of our church. So fill that out if you have never done so. And then at the end of the service, on your way out, you'll see the offering bins um, just attached to the sound booth at the back, and you can drop that that, in that box as you leave today. Um, If you are new with us this morning, we're glad that you are here. Welcome to Faith. Typically, after each service, we do have what's called Take Five, and we encourage you to come and just get to know us and us to get to know you for just a quick five minutes. Today, we are not having that Take Five um, due to a welcome back lunch for students, but we hope that you can join us next week and we get, get to know you a little bit more then. So um, if you are a college student, welcome, and congratulations on completing your first week of classes. That I know that can be either a good thing, an easy thing, or maybe a little harder thing, depending on your workload. But we want to welcome you back to faith, or welcome you to faith, by providing you some free food. So following today's service, um, we would like for, to invite you to stay. Here in the worship center, we're going to have a quick program that introduces you to the faith staff, as well as faculty that attend here at faith um, from K-State, MCC, and MATC. So hopefully you'll get some connections there. Um, In addition to the free lunch, we will be giving away some door prizes. So lots of good things for college students as you are coming back, and we want to welcome you. On a similar note, if you are faculty of K-State, MCC, or MATC, we would love for you to have you participate in that lunch as well. So today after the 1030 service. Our worship team is super excited to be hosting some auditions on Wednesday, September 20th. If you play an instrument or you sing, maybe up here on the stage is not for you, but back in the tech booth is more your jam being behind the scenes. We would love to be adding people to that team. Um, To register, there are a few ways that you can do that for auditions. You can simply go to the Church Center app and go to the event section and sign up through that. Or you can go to our website and click Church Center app, and then that'll take you there. And then the final way you can sign up for those audition times is just writing um, worship team auditions on the connection card. And Worship Pastor Logan will reach out to you and follow up as well. So the registration deadline for those audition times is midnight on Sunday, September 17th. So with that being said, I encourage you to stand with me and take a moment and greet someone near you this morning.
Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath. 